Dear congregation, let us turn in God's holy word to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll begin reading with verse 30. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30, and we'll read through chapter 12, uh, verse 2. We're right in the middle of Hebrews 11, and we are reminded that in Hebrews chapter 10 already, we are called to hold fast our confession, drawing near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. And as we do so, we need to understand what it means to know that assurance that indeed in the Lord Jesus Christ there is salvation. We need to understand what it means to live by faith, for indeed the just shall live by faith. We need to understand what faith is, as we find in the first three verses of chapter 11, that it is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And as the author to Hebrews continues to set before these Hebrew Christians throughout the world, and even us today, then we recognize that he sets before us these heroes of faith, this cloud of witnesses that we find in God's holy word. And as we come to verse 30, we begin to get a rapid fire of many of these witnesses, all directing us to the Lord Jesus Christ as the ultimate witness. Well, let us hear God's holy word. Hebrews 11, verse 30. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For time would fail, fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson, Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and cavens of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, 
looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. May God bless the reading of His precious and infallible Word. And dear congregation, as I pointed out in our Scripture reading, that as we come near to the end of Hebrews chapter 11 and these illustrations of of true saving faith, the faith that is to the saving of the soul, and how these illustrations show us how the just shall indeed live by faith, we find the author to Hebrews here moving very rapidly toward setting forth the Lord Jesus Christ and commending Him to us. Now, when we think of all of those who, have, who we have looked at in Hebrews 11, and we saw that in each of these individuals there might have been a slightly different aspect of faith that was illustrated by the author. We thought of Abel and his worship and how Enoch walked with God and how Noah worked under God's direction in building the ark and how Abraham and the patriarchs trusted in God's promises, how Moses chose to follow God. And we see something that they all had in common, but especially is emphasized in these last heroes of faith. And that is, they did all of this with great courage. With great courage. And so, in this sermon, I would like to look at the courage of faith. The courage of faith. And we're going to see, first of all, the witness of courage. And secondly, the source of courage. Now, when we think about our own lives, we think about sometimes the joys of life and other times the sorrows of life and the difficulties of life. And it can be so easily easy that we become overcome, as it were, by the real challenges of day-to-day life and the circumstances of our life and the circumstances of the world and whatever we are called unto in it. But as we read of these last heroes of faith who were courageous and overcame in the greatest of challenges, challenges that I don't think half of us could even imagine, just, just let's just walk through the list a moment and think about it. How these saints were faced with great challenges and responded with courageous faith. Think about Joshua leading Israel Moses has now died. And he was no longer leading them. Joshua is now called to replace them. And the Red Sea is, bef- or sorry, the, the, the Jordan is right before them. And it's rushing and raging. And the walled cities, he's seen them for himself as a spy. And the, and the, and the people that live there would have been terrifying to any human. And yet Joshua is called to lead the people of God across this Jordan River 
circle the walls of Jericho, and to conquer the land of Canaan. And the Lord calls to him, and he says, just be strong and of good courage. For this land will be given to you that I swore to your fathers. Only be strong and very courageous. Very courageous. And indeed, Joshua must be very courageous to lead these people whom he's seen murmur and murmur against God and against Moses. Now to lead these sinners into the promised land. And he does so. And by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they encircled them seven days. The faith of Joshua. The faith of Israel to follow Joshua around this city seven days. Trusting that on the seventh day the walls would come down. Verse 31. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe. The rest of Jericho looked and what in the world are these Israelites doing? But Rahab, a harlot, the despised of the city, believed in God and saw and believed all the wondrous works that God had done. And she receives the spies in peace, protects them, and puts a cord out her window to the saving of her house, of her life. The author to Hebrews says, what more shall I say? If you didn't have enough yet, And yet, I can't continue to go on with all of these illustrations, he says, because time would fail me. Maybe he's, maybe he's in a hurry. He's running out of page. He's running out of paper. He's running out of uh, uh, things to write on. Running out of ink. He's maybe running out of time. He's maybe running out and, and, and needs, needs to go on to the next city, whatever it would be. And the author to Hebrews says time would fail him to tell of all of the heroes of faith. Of Gideon, who with 300 men against an enemy that was as thick as locusts, goes up and gets the victory. Of Barak, as we find in Judges 4 and 5, where, where he and Deborah go to defeat Jabin, king of Canaan, and his commander, Caesarea, with 10,000 men against an army with 900 chariots. Or of Samson and his great strength and courage as one man defeating the Philistines again and again. Or of Jephthah in Judges 11-12, through 12, the son of a harlot, an illegitimate son, and yet became a mighty warrior who despite his own Proudness, as it were, needed to depend on God for military success over Ammon and the Ammonites. Or what about David? David and all of his faith and courage as a shepherd to protect his lambs. Or going up to Goliath, his giant, facing his giant with a slingshot and a stone. 
or as he comes up against the house of Saul. The Lord has granted him faith in great challenges and courage in that faith. Or what about all of the prophets? Those prophets who subdued kingdoms and worked righteousness and obtained promises and stopped the mouths of lions. Those prophets like Daniel in a faraway country, in a secular country, refusing to bend the knee before King Darius and, and, and worship him rather than his God. And there he goes and prays as he always did. And he stopped the mouths of lions by faith. Quenched the violence of fire. As his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bend the knee to the statute that Nebuchadnezzar built. Challenged strict Strict consequences that they would be cast into the, into the fire. And yet, the fire did not consume them. They quenched the violence of fire. Others escaped the edge of the sword. Think about how many prophets fled for their life's sake from kings like Ahab. And yet, by faith, they escaped the edge of the sword so that God would preserve His Word amongst the Israelites. These people, out of weakness, were made strong and became valiant in battle and turned to flight the enemies of the aliens. The women, by faith, they received their dead raised to life again through the means of an Elijah and an Elisha. Others were tortured. And they didn't accept deliverance that they may obtain a better resurrection. They gave their lives, even though there was a way of escape, because they know their hope was in the heavenly city. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings and chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered as sheepskins and goats goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. These are people who the world would not think were worthy of anything. And yet, they were people of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. What does this all communicate? It communicates that faith contains courage. That when we believe and trust in the Lord, that indeed He shows us that substance of the things hoped for and the evidence of things that are not seen, that takes true courage. It doesn't take a lot of courage. If you can, if you can see the, 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 the blessings and the, the encouragements of God, that doesn't take a lot of courage. To know that you have millions of people on your side against maybe 10,000 people on the other side. But it takes great courage to have a couple thousand people on one side and millions of people on the other side. That takes courage. And faith takes courage. And in all of these illustrations, we can break it down into a few points. This courage 
came from having, first of all, strength in the Lord. Strength in the Lord. It was not in their own strength that they became heroes of faith. No, by faith, they, they, they knew the evidence, even though they couldn't see the, necessarily the evidence. They knew that God was the creator of all things, that He was sovereign over all things, that He was all-powerful. And by faith, they took courage in God, who is all-powerful. They were strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. They trusted in the strength of His promises, those promises that could never be unfulfilled. They trusted His Word. They took courage in His Word. They found strength and courage in His Word and His promises. And to make sure that they knew that this was not any strength from themselves or any courage or boast that they could have had in themselves, we see secondly in this cloud of witnesses from verse 30 to the end, that God uses the most unlikely and weakest of means to accomplish His will. I think of Psalm 8. That God uses even infants. Out of infant lips He has ordained strength. Through weak means. And think about all of the weaknesses and the fears that you could imagine these saints went through. And sometimes also the guilt that they would have had. You see, when we're weak and we know someone else is stronger, that creates a fear in us, doesn't it? It's very unlikely that a very weak person is going to go and try to fight and conquer someone who is very strong. It's just unlikely. And if you, if you see it happen, you'd say, oh, that takes great courage. Or if you see someone trembling in fear and someone boasting on the other side, You'd say it would take great courage for that person who's trembling in fear to go against someone who is boasting with all of his strength. Or what about that person who is filled with guilt and remorse and is downcast, thinking, how in the world could anyone, or especially the Lord, go with me because of all that I have done and all that I have done to offend Him and others. And they're riddled with guilt. How could you overcome such a thing? And yet, the Lord uses just such people to show His strength through the unlikely means and the imperfect means that He uses to accomplish His purpose. As you go through this list, think of Abel. Abel. A second person who was born of a woman, born and conceived in sin. Maybe they recognized this already in Cain that he was a sinner, but had great hopes for Abel. Maybe he wouldn't. Maybe he would be that seed. And yet he's also a sinner. 
Enoch, who walked with this world and the lusts of this world for 65 years before he was saved. Noah, even after the flood, consumed in drunkenness. Abraham, continually taking things into his own hands. In Egypt, he lies with Hagar. He tries to fulfill that promise of God in having a seed. Isaac, he's getting old. He only has two sons, Esau and Jacob. And in his blindness, he's deceived to give the blessing to the son he didn't intend to. And yet God is in control of it. And it comes to Jacob. Jacob, a deceiver. A Joseph who was sold as a slave to Egypt. How would he be of any use to God? This Moses who is, who is destined to die in the Nile River because of the king's command. God draws him out of the river. And he chooses to follow God despite his secular influence. Joshua, a ridiculed spy, now leads the people of Israel. And as the spies come into Jericho, there's this Rahab, a prostitute, the scum of this earth, a Gideon, who couldn't trust God, who puts out his fleece again and again, a Barak, who requires Deborah to go with him because he himself couldn't necessarily trust God's Word. Brock, don't you know that the honor is going to go to a woman? But ultimately to God? Or what about Samson? Well, who would have guessed with all of his infidelities? Or Jephthah? Making a vow to sacrifice whatever comes out of the door of his house if God gives him the victory? Oh, what a terrible vow when he looks to his house after he gains the victory. And what, who walks out of the house? It wasn't a lamb. It wasn't a ram. It wasn't any animal. It was his only daughter, a virgin. And he pays his vow to the Lord and offers his daughter as a sacrifice to God. A David, just a shepherd boy, a king after God's own heart, and falls into adultery. No name prophets. They weren't the theological school leaders of their day. But these true prophets of God raise children from the dead. Daniels, who lived most of their life with secular influence in Babylon, stood firm in God. These nomads of their day, those who were destitute, the nobodies of this world, those who were afflicted and tormented, who would have guessed these unlikely and imperfect means would be used by God and receive a good testimony through faith? 
They were strong in the Lord. And God often uses unlikely and imperfect means, weak means, sinful means to accomplish His redemption. That's what this reminds us of. And even though all of these Old Testament heroes, we see thirdly, it's reminding us again that they had a faith that didn't look at their present circumstances. They didn't look at their present weaknesses. They didn't look at their present imperfections. They didn't look at their present rewards. But they looked forward in faith. The world's estimation of their reward here on earth, think about Abraham being a pilgrim and a sojourner in the very land of promise. You would say, what a fool, Abraham. But he looked to an eternal promised land. A city whose foundations were in God. And even though he had the promises and didn't see the day of fulfillment, that is what is exactly the same about all of these heroes of faith. They didn't receive the promise. They didn't receive the reward of the promise. And yet they were empowered to persevere through persecution through being deprived, even unto death. Why? Because they looked to the future. They looked to a time when the Lord Jesus Christ would come and that He would make atonement for sin, that He would ascend to the right hand of God and send forth His Spirit so that we would have better things. The question comes to us as we look at these heroes of faith. And it really asks us, are you rich? Are you poor? Are you popular? Are you despised? Are you looked up to? Or are you looked down upon? Will it even matter? It won't matter compared to your faith. That's the difference. Because faith doesn't ask those questions. It asks, is there strength in the Lord? Is there power in the Lord? Is there tre- are there treasures in the Lord? Is there an eternal popularity in the Lord? That will matter. And so we're called to labor for eternal treasures and eternal blessings through faith, looking to the future. 20th century martyr Jim Elliott wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That takes courage. But notice how quickly this crescendo directs us to Jesus. In verse 39, he wants to conclude this section. 
And he says, all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Notice verse 40. God having provided something better for us, that we should not be made perfect, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. You see, he's saying, these men and women of faith died. And even though they didn't receive what was, what was the reward of the promise, God has provided something better for us. And remember, the author to Hebrews is, 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 is continually reminding us of that, right? And there's better things in Jesus Christ. There's a, there's a better plan. There's a better priest. There's a better covenant. There's a better sacrifice. There's better blood. There's a better home forever. He says all these things come through Jesus Christ. The better than. And even though they could believe even not seeing Jesus, but only having Jesus shown to them in way of shadows of the Old Testament, they laid hold on Him by faith. They trusted in God and His Word and His promises. This spark of faith in their lives is dim compared to what we have in the New Testament where the Son of Righteousness has come and He has shone through His Word and now shines even at the right hand of God. And that's what the author to Hebrews wants to set before these Hebrew Christians. is to set before them and us today the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. The supremacy of, of His eternal covenant and now fulfilled in the new covenant. Because notice in verse 40 that they who had the covenant in the Old Testament and all the promises pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ should not be made perfect apart from us. They needed the same thing. They needed the Lord Jesus Christ. They needed the fulfillment of these old covenant promises. Because there was no hope without Jesus Christ. And so we find this word, therefore, in verse 12, chapter 12. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You see what he wants to do? He wants to set before us the greatest of all witnesses, Jesus Christ. For he is the ultimate witness of courage. And we are called to look to him. Not just because of his witness of courage, but because he is the very source of this courage. That's what we want to see secondly in our second point. Faith, source of courage. None other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And what what does the author to Hebrews use for an illustration to drive this home? Well, he uses the illustration of a race. A race. And you can know already in, in the Bible times that there were Olympics. In the Olympic Games, 
even that we enjoy today, were already in ancient Greece. These ancient Olympic Games would have already started probably 800 years before the Lord Jesus Christ came and continued there in Olympia until about 400 years after the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here in these last, in, the, in, in chapter 12 of Hebrews, Paul use, or the author to Hebrews uses this illustration of a race, a race that's set before us. And we are called to then run this race with endurance. And when we think about a race, what do we think about? We think about someone going out and training and, and becoming a, a disciple, as it were, and disciplining themselves to run this race in order to endure through the end of this race and become victorious. But how many people run a race? How many of us have run in the Olympics? Or how many of us have have. have, have have really run a race that matters a whole lot in, in life at all. Actually, in most races, the majority of the people are just watching on. There's only a few people that actually run. And, and yet, in, in, in the Christian life, we need to recognize this. Most of the world is watching on as Christians run this race. And for a Christian, when we are born again, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we believe in Him and trust in Him, it's as if the pistol has fired and we are called to run this race into the moment of our death. And in order to finish a race, whether it's an earthly race or a spiritual race, it needs to have endurance. We need endurance. And so we need to endure. And there isn't a single person that can endure without being strengthened by someone or something. Even an Olympian can't, can't endure on his own. He needs food and nourishment and so many blessings that come from the hand of God. But especially in a Christian's life, there is no believer in this whole world of all ages that could run with endurance by their own strength. Because we have weakness. And we are completely dependent on Jesus Christ, the source of our strength. Now when we think about this race, and Jesus then being the source of our endurance and of our strength, He is also the source and the endurance of our faith, and that also of our courage. We don't have any courage outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have any faith outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have any true worship outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't walk with God outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't serve God and work for God outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't know the promises of God, for they are yea and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. We will never choose God without choosing the Lord Jesus Christ, taking up our cross and following Jesus. And nor will we ever have courage without the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He is the source of our courage. 
He is, as the author to Hebrews puts it, the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus is the author. What does that word mean? That means that He is, as we saw in Hebrews chapter 2, He is the captain of our salvation. He is the forerunner. He is the pioneer. He is the one who authored faith. And He goes along ahead of us to blaze that trail, to overcome all of the barriers that separate us and God. And He becomes the example par excellence for our faith. Because he is the greatest witness of courage as the author of our faith. And therefore, he becomes the very source of our courage as the author of our faith. He is the one whom our faith is grounded upon and founded upon as the captain or the cornerstone of our faith. It becomes then unshakable ground on which our hope and our salvation, the very substance of our faith, rest. Because it's in Jesus. Isn't that why without Jesus, our faith is worthless? It's futile. Without His resurrection and without His ascension to heaven, without Him enthroned on high over all things, there would be no basis For our faith, there would be no basis to trust in Jesus, looking to Him for courage. But not only is He the author of it, He's also the finisher of it. The word there is the same Greek word that Jesus says on the cross, just in a different um, for, formula is where is the words change in different tenses and so on. But as the perfecter of our faith, Jesus has, has said, it is finished on the cross. And so there He has finished it. And He is the finisher or even the perfecter of our faith. Now indeed, that, that does mean that Jesus Christ alone is the one who can perfect us and and, and, and help us to live perfectly live a, a, a perfect life. But in, in, a, in a certain sense here, Jesus is showing us that, that He is this example. Better than all of the examples that have ever been set before us here in, in, in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, but also throughout the, the whole Bible. Because He is the one who who the authorities said on the cross, He he trusts in God. And even though they were mocking Him, they didn't just realize just how true that was. Because by faith, Jesus pleased Enoch by walking with God perfectly His whole life. Or like Abraham, Jesus perfectly looked for that city to come. He didn't take things into His own hand. He submitted to the will of God, His Father in heaven. And even through that, He was willing to become the supreme sacrifice for all of His people. By faith, Jesus even, like Moses, 
He set aside any kind of earthly glory, even though He was divine. He might be counted, afflicted with the people of God. Even afflicted in ways that no human other than Jesus have ever, ever endured. By faith, Jesus gave Himself as a sacrifice. A far more excellent sacrifice than that even of Abel. The Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. He brings faith and the courage of faith to its full expression. As He endured the wrath of God and endured our hell that we might have life in Him. He endured the shame of the cross, being destitute and afflicted, suffering great shame. Think about it again. These Hebrew Christians, maybe even us today, would shrink back in shame because of the mockery of this world. And yet Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame of the cross. What does that mean? That means what the world called shameful. Jesus found joyful. And what the world often found joyful, Jesus found shameful. And there on the cross, though He was mocked and ridiculed and shamed as that crown of thorns was pressed upon His head, as He was mocked and called the King of the Jews, there the Lord Jesus Christ despised the shame knowing that the eternal crown of glory awaited for him after death. Think about this in the sense of a race again. In the Olympics, especially in those days, these athletic games was Probably the only way some people who felt like they were marginalized in society could gain honor and status and to sit with royalty. Most most athletes, the only reason that they competed in these games would be to have such prestige. And to receive a laurel crown that really was worth nothing, but what the real crown that they desired was so they could sit in places of royalty. Because people who were famous then, they they were born into it. They had a noble birth. They inherited wealth. or, Or they were of a family of military geniuses or something like that. But these athletes had a chance to be honored in their society. But the Lord Jesus Christ, who perfectly ran that race, despite all of the shame and the mockery. It is He 
who came to the end of that race and was crowned as a Lord of glory forever. And what an encouragement for Christians. For even as Christ endured the cross for us, And now was seated at the right hand of God. He calls us into this race to run this race as, with endurance, looking to Him for the source of that strength and that courage so that we might run it with endurance. So not only is He the author of our faith and the finisher of our faith, He becomes the one who gives us endurance through faith. He's not just some kind of example from the Old Testament. He's not a dead hero. No, He's alive forevermore. He's not just some kind of good philosophical idea that came up in some philosopher's mind to give motivation. No, He's one who ever lives to strengthen His people as a source of their strength. And when we're connected to Him in heaven, then we can know His strength. How do we get connected to Him in heaven? We look and we see Jesus in this race. And in this race, He gives us everything we need. He shows us all of those weights that we have hanging on us. And He calls us to take off those weights. Who's going to go and run a race with battle armor on? None of us. None of us are going to go and run a race with battle armor on. So why would we run a race, the race of faith, with all of the weights of our sin on us? Why would we run that race of faith with all of the weight of guilt on us and shame on us? No, we need to lay aside all of the weights. We need to remove all of the obstacles. And He shows us where they are and often removes them from us. We'll see that next time in the verses that follow through the discipline of God. Because faith is disciplined. And it takes real discipline. Maybe even to shed those extra pounds to run this race. But ultimately, He wants us not only to shed all that would hinder us from winning the race, but to keep our eyes fixed on the source of our strength, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we run the race. And there in heaven, He's sending forth His Spirit in the midst of all of our challenges, in the midst of all of our trials. You can fill in the blank of your challenge. You can fill in the blank of your trial. And you can know that Jesus is up in heaven praying for you. Sending His Holy Spirit unto you in your time of need. So you might know His presence. That you might know His strength. That you might know His power. And that you might be encouraged through Him. 
Think about how precious those words must have meant to Peter. As they would come back to his mind in all kinds of challenges, those words that Jesus said to him before he denied him. Peter, I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith would not fail. To have such a high priest in heaven in the midst of your greatest challenge to know that he's praying for you, that your faith would not fail, that you would be courageous in the battle. How could children of such prayers ever perish? He is the source of our strength. And if you want to live a life like Jesus, to be filled with the power of Christ and experience the very joy of Christ, it won't come through all kinds of easy times. It will come through challenges. And we must fix our eyes on Jesus whom the world knows nothing about, and to consider His reward and how great of a Savior He is. We need to remember that we don't run the race in front of the home crowd here below. You know, when you go to the Olympics and you have the Olympics, let's say they would be in Canada. If we had the Olympic Games here, we would probably have more gold medals in Canada than what we, what we would have if, if the Olympics were in Africa somewhere. Because you're not running in front of your home crowd. You're not being cheered on by your home crowd. They're not pushing you on to the finish line. We need to remember all the obstacles this world puts in front of us. The hindrances that they put in front of us. The challenges. And recognize that we are being distracted from our ultimate goal and ever fix our eyes on Jesus. How we would see Him and His glory and how He has despised the shame and is now sitting at the right hand of God. Furthermore, we need to hear We need to hear not the cheers of this world. We need to hear the cheers of those who are in glory. Because by faith, that is our home crowd. The saints of all ages are our home crowd. And they're cheering us on to endure to the end of the race. And Christ, who is the source of our endurance, gives us that endurance when our eyes are fixed on Him. And think about how much more powerful He is than any earthly Olympian even. No matter how fast you can run 100 meters, it kind of becomes meaningless, doesn't it? When we think about how Jesus could ascend from this earth to heaven in moments. Or how He could come as a risen Savior, right through the walls 
into the presence of his disciples. Then suddenly, these supernatural abilities remind us that we are puny and slow and cumbersome, even if we're the fastest runner. Consider him who lifts weights. Can lift hundreds and hundreds of pounds of weight. And yet it's meaningless compared to the strength that God gives even Samson to tear down a whole building. But even as more meaningless when you think of the power that God has. Infinite power. Water sports just don't seem the same when you think about who Jesus is, do you? does it? He walked on water. The winds and the sea, they obeyed Him. He's the source of our faith, the source of our strength, the source of our courage. Be strong and have good courage. The Lord is with you when you believe in Jesus. And no matter how weary you are in this race, no matter how many obstacles are in your way, no matter how many fears fill your mind, no matter how many mind games the world wants to play, and no matter how many temptations Satan sets in our way, we look to Jesus. And we lay behind all that would slow us down and hinder us in the race, and we press toward that goal, that mark, for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. He is the source of that courage. Amen. Let us pray. Well, Father in heaven, we give thanks for your great salvation. We give thanks for giving repentance. We give you thanks for giving faith. And we give thanks for giving courage in faith. Because we are weak, yet you are strong. And when we know our weaknesses and we can know your grace is sufficient for us, so be pleased, O Lord, to give us the eyes of faith to see King Jesus, to hear the cheers of the home crowd of saints who have entered into glory, and to be pressed on, strengthened by your Spirit, knowing the power of your prayer. So be pleased, O Lord, to pray for us that our faith would fail not, that we, O oh Lord, would also be made perfect as the saints in glory have been made perfect through the author and finisher of our faith. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.